Oh my gosh, this is really awkward. Awkward? Pretty awkward. It's just all a little bit too awkward. Awkward. And also kind of proud of being awkward. Hashtag awkward. It was really awkward. It's awkward. I have awkward vibes in me. A little bit awkward. Very awkward and clumsy. You are so awkward to be around. Pale, awkward young men. So awkward. <laughs> that was very awkward. Which makes things slightly awkward. It's awkward. Uh, that's what makes it a little awkward. Very awkward and very unnatural. I'm like a pretty awkward dude. It's an awkward conversation. What's up, Crossroads? How are we doing today? Excited? Look at you. Raven snowstorms and everything else is so good to be with you, except for you, St. Pete. No snowstorms for you. We're all jealous of you right now in the most joyous, jealous way, biblical, that we could be possibly. Hey, I'm so glad to be with you. I want you to know uh, your pastor, Tim Fisher, is one of my best friends. I love any chance I get to hang out with him. I told him before the 830 service, I was like, dude, we could hang out a lot more if we weren't both pastors. So if you quit or I quit, one of these things could happen. We could see each other much more. And there are few things I like to do more than to hang out with Tim and to listen to him giggle at his own jokes. And it is, it is just the best. But I really, I really want you to know, Crossroads, uh, you are led by one of the very best. Uh, he's got an incredible vision for the kingdom in you. Yeah, celebrate your pastor, Tim. Oh, so good. And, uh, and I, I want to talk about you for just a second. So you're like just coming out of this all-in campaign in which you gave in incredible ways to create more touch points of the gospel, of the message of Jesus and what he's doing to change people's lives. And I just want you to know that like in a world in which people are obsessed about themselves and their wants and their desires, for a group of people to gather together and say what we're doing is about, it's bigger than us. It's about more than us. It's about what God's doing. I just want to tell you that is so incredible. So Crossroads, this may be a little awkward, but would you take a second and celebrate yourselves and your own generosity and what you've done? Because I think it's truly phenomenal. But hey, I'm so excited uh, here in Goshen, Elkhart, Indiana, and Mishawaka in St. Pete to continue this awkward conversations with you. And so you have talked about sex and hell and addiction. And so I figured just the best thing I could do today is just kind of wrap those all together and just say, are you going to hell if you have sex addiction? So if, that was fun for me. I want you to know how fun for me that was. No, uh, today we're talking about doubt. And doubt is a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, a couple years ago, I started writing a book uh, that came out just earlier this year called Reconstructing the Rubble. And what the book is about, it's about how people lose their faith in the process of doubt and how they lose their faith. And, and the reason why I wrote it, I, I never intended to go, oh, I really want to write a book. But, but I kept hearing friend after friend share story after story of losing their faith. And they described how they lost their faith as if it was a mystery to them. And then I, one day I woke up and I had no faith. And I wanted to say, oh, no, 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 this is actually predictable. Like, how you lost your faith, the role that doubt played in you losing your faith, like, there's a process, there's a pattern to this. And my greatest desire for those who had lost their faith or those who were close to someone, had a friend or family member who had lost their faith, was that if they could at least see how they walked away from faith, that they would know how to make their way back. 
Like if you're lost and you don't know where you are, you have no idea how to get back on the right road. So I could at least go, hey, these are the steps that took you outside of a relationship with Jesus. So you know how you can come back to him. And that's really what I want to talk about today. And in just a second, we're going to look at a scene in the life of Jesus, this powerful encounter of someone who is struggling with doubt. But first, I, want to, I just kind of want to like lay a little groundwork so we can understand what we're talking about with doubt. I'll give you two core ideas. Uh, the first one is this. Everyone has doubt. Everyone has doubt. If, if you're sitting here today and you're going, not me, Kevin, I have, I have no doubt, then what you are doing is you are doubting my statement about everyone having doubt and therefore you have doubt. See? Oh, gotcha. Everyone has doubt. We all struggle with it. Whether you're new to faith, whether you've been a believer for years, whether you're a pastor, like there are parts where you go, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust God in it. I'm not sure if I can do that. And to go, we all have doubt. We do. You're in good company if you're struggling with doubt today. And it's actually important that we understand that we all have doubt because the second idea I want to give you right at the start is that doubt is the context for faith. If you don't have doubt, there is no opportunity for faith in your life. And so faith is not defined as certainty. Like two plus two is four. No one has to go, I'll take it on faith, Kevin. I'm not sure, but I, I'll believe you if you say it. No, it's, it's a fact. Like, it, you are certain about it. And that is not what faith is. Like, the, the writers of Hebrews describe it like this, that faith is confidence in what we hope for. Faith is confidence, not certainty. I don't have to have confidence in something that I'm certain of because I know for sure it has happened or will always happen. And so what happens is, is that the context in order for us to exhibit, for us to show our faith, is actually doubt. And if you eliminate all the doubt from your life, there's no opportunity for you to express faith. It's kind of like this, if this makes sense to go like, the only way to have a comeback is to be down. You can't go, that was a great comeback. You were up the whole time. You didn't come back from anything. Like, no, no, no. For, to have a comeback, you have to be down at a certain point in time. In order for you to express faith, you first have to admit doubt. And so I want to look at a scene in the life of Jesus that we know today as the resurrection of Lazarus. Because we see this incredible encounter of doubt. And so let me give you a broad overview of what happens. This is in John chapter 11. But let me tell you real quickly what takes place. So Jesus gets word from these two sisters, Martha and Mary, that their brother, who Jesus is good friends with, who Jesus loves, his name is Lazarus, is sick. And it says Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. And you're like, Jesus. It's just like you. Like, it's so odd. He's like, Lazarus is sick. And it says, Jesus loved Lazarus, so he stayed where he was two more days. And then Lazarus dies. And Jesus goes, let's go see Lazarus. Now it's time. You're like, God, you're a little late. And if you've never told God that before in your life, I have no idea what you're actually doing in your faith. God, you're late. I asked a long time ago. And so Jesus makes his way back, and Lazarus is already in the tomb buried. It says that he's coming along. Martha, the older sister, runs out to meet Jesus. Mary is still back in the house grieving, and Martha goes, you're late. 
you're late. Where were you? He's dead. And he like tells this incredibly mysterious, weird thing that you're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And then he says, where's Mary? He knows where Mary is, but he still asks. Martha's like, she's back in the house. Jesus is like, you go tell Mary to come out of the house and come here where I am. She goes back, gets Mary. Mary comes out of the house. And then Jesus has this incredible moment in which he says, Lazarus, come out. And it's so important that he says, Lazarus, come out, because you know God's words have power. Like when God speaks, things happen. If he would have just said, come out, then it would have been like night of the living dead, walking dead, zombie apocalypse. Like all the people would have come out of the tomb. And if if you didn't have doubt before, you'd have doubt then. I can promise you that all the dead people start walking out of the tomb. I don't know exactly how that would go. Like, ooh, I'm a little concerned. And so Lazarus comes out of the tomb, and he's resurrected. And when we look at this account in John chapter 11, that's what we focus on. We're like, Lazarus was dead, and he's alive. He was buried, and now he's walking around like, it's amazing. But when John writes this account, when John, the disciple of Jesus, records this account, he he gives us these clues that we're not just supposed to be focused on Lazarus, that there's another encounter taking place that is really significant, and and for the sake of our conversation today on doubt, far more pivotal for us to be aware of. Like, you really want to know the story of Lazarus if you're dead, right? Like, if you're dead, you're like, let's talk about that one. But I'm trusting that you're not dead, alive or spiritually, on a Sunday morning at church. And so we're not going to focus on Lazarus. We're going to focus on Mary, because it's Mary's transformation that John actually wants us to be aware of. And he gives us this clue why we should pay attention to Mary, because this is how the account begins in John chapter 11. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then he draws our attention to Mary. He says, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, now what John does is right after this encounter with with Lazarus in John chapter 12 that we're not going to quite get to today, he gives us the account of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with her hair. And what John wants to show us is how Mary is transformed through this event in which her brother is dead. And so the first time that we see Mary is we we see her like this. It says that Jesus goes to the house of Mary and Martha, and Mary sits at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching, and Martha is busy making all the preparations for dinner, and she's getting everything ready, and she's cooking the food, and she's setting the table, and then she comes in, and she's like really annoyed. And she looks at Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, Mary is sitting here doing nothing. Why aren't you telling her to get up and come help me with dinner? Which I could just acknowledge, like, we always give Martha a hard time in church. We're like, oh, Martha. And Jesus even goes, Martha, Mary has chosen what's better. It won't be taken taken from her. But, but could I acknowledge just for a second, I really resonate with Martha. Like I'd be quite annoyed if I was doing all this stuff and someone was just sitting there doing nothing. Like, like Martha gets a hard rap, but Martha's get stuff done. Like if there's no Martha, there's no dinner. Like, we can't all just sit at Jesus' feet. Like, we've got to, like, I I tease, uh, this is kind of an awkward thing in our relationship. In my relationship with my wife, I am the Martha. 
like I am the let's get stuff done. My wife will talk to people for years, and I'm like, we got to go because we got this and this and this and this, and they like see the order. So the other day, um, we, we had like 20 people over to our house. This is a couple weeks ago, and we had tacos, and, and she cooked because I can't cook. I'm just, uh, I'm just not intelligent enough to do the cooking. That's really what it is. It comes down to it. And so she cooked, but then I, I looked at the, like she set it all up like a bar, like a taco bar, not, not the other kind of bar that's not Sunday morning time. Okay, like a taco bar, and it was like she had it set up that there were um, let me get the order right. She had cheese and meat and tomato and shells and salsa. She's like, yeah, come eat. And I, and I looked at the spread and I was like, what do you expect people to do? Do you expect people to put the cheese and the meat in their hands and then just walk down the aisle and then dump it in the shell and get the salsa? No. The order is shell, meat, cheese, tomatoes, salsa, other toppings. Like, this is how it goes. See, this is what the Marthas of the world do. Where are my Marthas at? Come on, where are you at? Can we celebrate the Marthas? The only reason why something gets done in our lives. So Mary's here. And she's sitting at Jesus' feet, and she's listening to him as a teacher. See, this is so important. The first time we see Mary, she's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach, and she is operating as a student. But the third time that we see Mary is she comes in, and she has this jar of perfume, and it was common in their culture that they would wash someone's feet when they walked into the house. They had sandals on. They'd walk everywhere. Their feet were disgusting. Just picture the person you know in your life who wears Crocs everywhere, like same kind of feet in there. Like that's what we're looking at. <laughs> Ooh, that might have been too far. <laughs> and so she comes in, and instead of washing Jesus' feet with just a towel and some water, it says that she takes this thing of perfume and she anoints it and she doesn't have a towel so she uses her hair. Like it's this, it's this almost disturbing image of worship and devotion. Like it, it's meant to make us uncomfortable. Like it's, it's the kind of person in church who uh, worships a little too exuberantly for your like and for your taste. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you can raise your hand but have your other hand in your pocket or hold your coffee or something like that. We're not two-hand people. Like this is a little much. They're yelling. They're not just clapping at the end of the song. They're clapping in the middle of the song. You're like, I feel a little uncomfortable about how much you love Jesus in the moment. Could you temper it down just a little bit? This is Mary. Like Mary comes in this next time and she is wiping Jesus' feet with her hair because he's not just a teacher anymore. He's her savior. She, she's not just a student at this point in time. She's now a worshiper. And, and there is this transition that takes place from Mary wants to learn more about Jesus to she knows that her faith is in him. From Mary wants to understand what Jesus is saying to now she is in wholehearted devotion and following him all the days of her life. And so the question becomes, how does Mary move from student to worshiper, from teacher to savior? And the answer is, the context is her Doubt. It's this moment 
in which her brother was sick and Jesus didn't come when she thought he would. And now he has died and she's got to figure out what she needs to do in the process. And we're given this clue about the state of Mary while she's in the house. In John chapter 11, verse 5, it says this, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It doesn't even give her name in this moment because Mary has not just lost her brother, She's also lost herself. She, she's lost who she is. She doesn't know what she's meant to be. See, this is the struggle with doubt. Is that it is so difficult to not even, to not just navigate what we believe about God and what we can have confidence that God will do, but to then also identify what does that mean for us? Who am I? Where does my worth come from? Where does my value come from? Because if you're not cautious, what will happen is that as you lose your faith, you'll lose yourself. So, so I wrote this book um, and started working on it a couple years ago. Because I, I noticed more importantly, as people lost their faith, it wasn't just their faith that was lost. It was their identity. It, it, was, it was their sense of value. Because if your value is not found in what God has done for you, you're going to try to search for it in everything else in the world. You're going to look to academics and athletics and achievements and accomplishments. Like you're going to look to all these other things to go, no, 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 this is what makes me important. This is what makes my life meaningful. This is what makes me valuable as a person. You'll search in relationships. And the relationship will be meaningful and exciting because it's new for a while, but then it'll get old and tired and it'll be just like all the other relationships. And so you'll have to jump to the next one. Or, or you'll look for it in a job. You're like, oh, no, 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 my problem is this job and this boss and this company and I need this other job in which they value me and I have worth and I have meaning. And then you'll get to the next job and for like three weeks, everything will be incredible. And then within six months, you go, no, 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 not this job either. I need a new job. That's the answer. See, what happens is, is that if we don't find the answer that we're looking for in Jesus, we look for it in whatever is new, shiny, or exciting. And what I want to maybe do today for you is I want to shift your faith from a child-ish faith, because my kids are enamored with what is new and shiny or exciting, to to more of a sturdy, strong, adult faith. And, and some of you might be in that season of doubt. And, and the doubt may, you may not just go, oh, it's doubt, I have questions about God. It may also be, I'm mad. I'm mad that this didn't take place. I'm mad that this hasn't worked out. I'm mad that I'm in this situation, and these other people that are worse than me aren't in it. It may be fear and frustration. It may be bitterness. Like, like the season that you're in, you may not just describe it as doubt, but you may be right where Mary is. Jesus is on the road. A miracle is about to happen. But Mary's in the house, and she's upset, and she's angry, and she's frustrated. Because when you lose your faith, you begin to lose yourself. And what I want for you today is not that you would simply find Jesus, but that you would say yes to him. Not, 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 God, you gave me the answer I wanted. 
So yeah, I'm good with that. Not, God, you cleared the path and removed the problems and removed the obstacle, and so I'm good with that. No, because that's not how God operates. See, sometimes, sometimes I think it's hilarious. Sometimes people in my church, I'll just share this with you, okay? I'll just tell you this. Sometimes people in my church, they'll come up to me, and they've been in a season of doubt or struggle, and then they'll come to me, and they're really excited, and they'll go, Pastor Kevin, I, I found Jesus and I give the appropriate response, pastoral response I should in that moment. I'm like, congratulations, this is great. But the thing that I really want to say, they'll be like, I found Jesus. And I want to go, was he missing? Like, was he lost? Like, you've, I picture like this weird, like, where's Waldo scenario. Like, find Jesus, where is he? Like, like they're playing hide and seek. Jesus is like kind of sneaking behind the bushes. I found Jesus. Oh, guys. Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. Come on, here we go. We found Jesus. You don't find Jesus. He never moved. He's right where he's always been. Welcoming you, loving you inviting you, giving you purpose and significance and meaning and value and hope. He's right where he's always been. It's you who moved. And so this is what Jesus does. He does something that in a moment almost feels insensitive, unempathetic. That, that it says that Mary is in the house when Martha has greeted her, greeted Jesus on the road. And it it says that Martha goes back to the house. And this is what's recorded in verse 28. It says, after she had said this, being words to Jesus, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. And she tells Mary, the teacher is here, because he's not Lord yet, and is asking for you. The teacher is here, and he's asking for you. So this is what takes place. Martha tells Jesus, you're late. Jesus says, no, 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 you're about to see a miracle. Jesus looks at Martha and says, where's Mary? He knows where Mary is. He says, where's Mary? She's in the house and she is mad at you. Woo! I would not, I would not. And Jesus, instead of going to the house where Mary is to tell her to come out of it, to reach her, to greet her in her mourning, in her sorrow, in her anger, instead of going where she is, Jesus looks at Martha and says, you go get Mary and you tell her to come here. Mm. Martha, get Mary and bring her to me where I am. See, here's the hard thing. Mary is surrounded by people. And in your doubt, in your frustration, in your anger with God, you will always be surrounded by people. There will always be people who come around you to affirm you in your frustration. There will always be voices in your life that will say, no, you shouldn't forgive them. No, 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 they don't deserve that. No, you shouldn't extend grace here. No, God blew it before and he'll blow it again and you shouldn't trust him again. No, don't believe that church. Those people were mean. I gotta tell you, every church has mean people. You know why every church has mean people? Because sometimes you're a mean person, okay? 
if the church didn't allow broken, hurting, mean, angry, frustrated people in, you would not be allowed in the door. Neither would I. This is a good thing. But there will always be voices in your life that tell you, no, 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 stay stuck in the house. Stay angry. Stay upset. Stay mad. And so Jesus doesn't go to the house. He calls Mary out of the house. He doesn't go to where she's full of doubt and frustration and anger and bitterness. He says, no, 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 you need to come where I am. You need to come and meet me here. And this is the moment in which Mary has the opportunity to express faith, to show confidence. This is the moment, this is the scene in which Mary all of a sudden can show, no, 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 you're not just teacher, you're Lord. See, there's this other incredible account about doubt in which Jesus is walking on the water, so cool, to the disciples in the boat. And Peter is in the boat, and he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water, and it says he sees a wave and he starts to sink. And Jesus reaches down and he grabs him by the hand. Important note, he doesn't let him keep sinking. (laughs) Like sometimes we think if I blow it in my faith, God looks at me and is just like, idiot. Come on, tread water, boy. Let's go. Get up. No! He reaches down and he grabs him. And then he looks at Peter and he says this twofold phrase. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And for some of us, the only thing we've ever heard is the why did you doubt? But what he also does, while he acknowledges that Peter had doubt, he also confirms that Peter had faith. Do you see this? He doesn't tell any of the other disciples that they had faith because they're still in the boat. But he confirms in Peter's life, yes, there is doubt here, but there's also faith. You may have doubt and struggle in your life, but there is also faith present as well. And, And so Mary's back here in the house and she's frustrated and she's mad and she's angry and she's mad, but she's about to see a miracle. She's about to see God move. And what I need you to know today is that if you're in a season in which you feel God has let you down, if you're in a moment in which you feel like you don't know how to move forward and you're stuck in a house and people around you are telling you, you should be bitter, you should feel this way, and yet you feel disconnected from your Savior, I want you to know this is the moment in which God moves Like, this is the scene in which God acts. There's no breakthrough without the breakdown first. There's no comeback if you haven't first been behind. And you may be full of doubt, and yet faith is also present. And so what Jesus tells you today is the same thing that he told Martha. He says, Martha, you go back to Mary, and you tell her that she has stayed in the house for long enough. She has stayed in her anger for long enough and you get her and you tell her to come here to meet me where I am because I never left, because I never moved. Tell Mary, tell Crossroads to come here where I am. God never moved. And so Mary walks out of the house She's mad. 
She hasn't had all her questions answered. She hasn't had all her frustrations lifted. And neither will you. But she comes to Jesus. And she watches Jesus raise the dead back to life. And so the next time that she sees him, he's not just a teacher. He's her savior. She's not just a student. She's a worshiper. Because now she has seen God move. The invitation that Jesus gives you is not to have all your doubts erased. I have doubts. The reason why God doesn't erase them is because doubt is the context for faith. God wants to see your faith at work. He wants to see your confidence in him play out. And he answers that with an acknowledgement of who he is and what he's done and what he continues to do in our lives. And, and it doesn't always get easier. I, I need you to know that. So, so Lazarus is raised from the dead. And, and then it says right after he's raised from the dead, this is one chapter later, it says the religious leaders gather around and it says this is where they begin plotting to kill Jesus because everyone is now following him. And they wanted to kill Lazarus too. That's a tough resurrection where you go, we need to kill him. Why? Because he's dead and now he's not. Like, oh, that's difficult. See, when you come to God, your problems don't go away. Can I be real clear with you? I, I know this is the worst invitation to Jesus ever. Sometimes they get worse. Sometimes they get worse. Because sometimes the thing that you've been dealing with and you were like finally okay with and were satisfied with and had accepted, now God comes into your life and you go, oh, that's got to go. <laughs> Oh, that's got to go. Oh, this has to change. Oh, I can't be with these people all the days of my life anymore. Sometimes you come to God and it feels in a moment like your life gets worse. But this is why it's so important. You didn't find Jesus because he's never moved. But when you find your faith, you find yourself. And all of a sudden you begin to realize my worth was purchased on the cross. My value is not in what I do, but in what God has already done. My significance is not a statement based upon the popularity from those around me. My significance is sealed in eternity forever with Jesus. And all of a sudden, your identity begins to change. All of a sudden, how you view your life begins to change. And you begin to understand what I do in this moment is not what is ultimately important because I was created for eternity with God. You have faith. Because you have yourself when you find Jesus. Crossroads, would you stay in with me in this moment? I, I want to do something just maybe a smidge different with you, and I'm going to invite the band to come out if they would. I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus. To, to understand I still have questions. I still have doubts. I'm still not sure. And yet I need to come out of the house and I need to take a step of faith and I need to trust him. Because when you find your faith, you find yourself. 
because your value is in God. And so the step that we all take that matters most is saying yes to Jesus. And this is what I'm going to invite you to do. In, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says this. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and so what we're going to do together today is I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer. And I'm going to say a couple words, and then I'm going to invite you to repeat after me out loud together. I trust you have the rhythm that you can handle to do this together and figure out the cadence and tone for yourself. And this is what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask all those who have a relationship with Jesus to say this boldly, to, to say this with proclamation, to, to say this with the understanding that this is what my confidence is in. This is what my hope has always been in. This is what my faith is about. And to do so in a way that it is an open invitation to the person here today or watching online who has never entered into a relationship with Jesus. That you would know his grace is free, his love is limitless, and he desires a relationship with you. And to know that today is the day to get out of the house and to come to him. And so if you have already chosen to follow Christ or you would like to make that decision today, I invite you to repeat these words out loud after me. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he gave his life to forgive my sins, I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Hey, Crossroads, can we celebrate that today? Acknowledging some people have gone from death to life. Amen. Amen. Hey, we celebrate with you. Let's take a moment right now and in an act of worship, thank our God for all he's done. Let's sing together.